we have just got a text off Max Parry though. Say, sorry lads, death has come to me. All of death. So in the nicest way, I hope it has. I was sat in the cabinet room and I was like hosting me on me. The big man, the fridge is open. He's flown like a gazelle. What can Chris Gale do? He goes low. Oh, you rat. You've got a man beside you. He's got it. England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins. There it is, the sound of generic copyright-free indie rock set to the clips of cricketing highlights of yesteryear, which can only mean one thing, you're listening to The Wrong Un. Hello there, everybody. With me through the internetal ether is Satch. Hello. Ollie. Good morning, Bertram. And from the deepest, darkest stretches of Essex, Max Parry. Is, uh, is, Max, is Max there? Anywhere to be seen? <laughs> No. Oh, no, of course he isn't, because uh, MP Today is currently so hungover that he's not even uh, bothered to show up this Sunday morning. <laughs> Poor lad. I'm glad he's been I having mean, a fun night without us. I think to put things in context, we actually watched the uh, the game together yesterday. I say we, without Max, obviously, and uh, decided to delay podcast recording until today so that Max could join us on the pod. And 15 hours later, he's still not able to, to be with us here. So I hope you had a good time, Max. I uh, hope you stayed safe. <laughs> you are going to get it in the neck when I do I thought, next season. I thought that sounded like he was going to start as that, come down with me. I hope you had a good time. <laughs> Whatever it was, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it could have done. What a sad little life, Max. What, is, uh, what does make it a little bit sad is that he's likely uh, not even left his house in the process of getting really hungover and has still managed to not turn up for for an approximately uh, half ten kick-off time. Uh, but that's his undoing. I, to be fair, I was slightly late myself uh, because, uh, because I was filling in the census. Uh, Ollie, I imagine when you... When you got round to filling in the census, it comes to profession. And what is it, like, fat nine part-time bowl? <laughs> yeah, something like that. That's actually hit me quite deep there, but it's Sunday morning. I've only just recently got up. I don't need that kind of abuse at this time, but, uh, but if it was to be cricketing uh, phrase and it would be something like that unfortunately yeah yeah what's your what is your cricketing occupation that you'd put down well i mean i don't re- i don't really offer an awful lot stand in the cordon <laughs> hurl abuse <laughs> just becoming a very great cricketer but um yeah, I don't think it's, <laughs> yeah yeah i can't put on record my uh my role your greatest hit being well such you could be the only uh the only uh, professionally speaking, amateurly paid uh, Indian uh, cricket correspondent in, in in Liverpool. Yes, I mean, I, 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 my occupation would probably be something like drinks carrier or chief analyst or both. <laughs> Drink, drinks carrier or chief analyst. There's absolutely no in between. <laughs> absolutely no in between. The, I think the only thing that's certain is there's no way I'm getting on the field to play. So we can uh, we can all agree that uh, Max Parry's uh, hungover sack of skin, uh, as how he would describe it, not us, how, how he would describe it, is not here. Uh, but we're straight off the back of a frankly very sort of interesting, big uh, T20 series. Uh, a little bit of uh, different from the test matches, or, or was it really? I mean... That fourth match lasted about as long as the T20s, uh, as the test matches did in Ahmedabad. But it's been a it's been a nice antidote to uh, 
to two-day cricket, one-day cricket. <laughs> it has been a, a really fun series. I think the fact that it's been a five-game series with uh, two days between games has made the, the narrative and the discourse even more interesting because you've got a tight space of time um, through which you can sort of build up matchups and, and storylines. So it's been really interesting to see the, the games develop over a period of time. That's, of course, been helped by the fact that it was so nicely poised going into yesterday's game. I think it's also been one of the most analysed T20 series that I can remember, probably the most analysed. I mean, Sky Sports, God love them, they're back on the, com- uh, on the coverage. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, <wow. laughs> Bleed that out. Huh? Bleed that out. What the? It doesn't matter. <laughs> Carry on. The listeners, the listeners, the listeners will know what we're, what we're briefly concerned about. I think it's... Start again. I think it's also been one of the most analysed T20 series of recent times, if not the most analysed. We've well, had Sky us. Sports back on... But by everyone. <laughs> We've had Sky Sports back on the coverage, thankfully. Got rid of that awful Channel 4 coverage. And uh, it looks like Sky Sports have been crick vised up to, to, to the to the rivals <laughs> nice. with all the stats. You've got 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 Rob Key there looking more statistical than any man in history. It's incredible. I mean, this is a man who said stats were for Pratt, and he's he's at the little <laughs> little Sky Sports. T- he's, 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 he's notorious for saying. It. He's he's there in his little Sky Sports TV corner doing analysis and all sorts. Got NASA there. You've got. Dinesh Karthik with his unbelievable beard and even better shirt coming out with even better analysis. That's been fine in the series, but it's brilliant. It's, it's it's great to see the it's great to see T Twenty being analysed and to the same depth as you know what we might traditionally analyse a Test match series. Um, I've I've really enjoyed it. Such I can't believe that uh, that you've been so enthusiastic in your binning of all the Indian pundits and Indian commentators. Now we're back on Great British commentary. You're all happy. Great British commentary. British commentary, maybe. No, I, I, everyone knows I'm a big fan of Nasser and others. I think they're, and, and Ian Ward, I think they're fantastic. Not, <laughs> everyone, not, everyone knows. It's, everyone it's, knows. It's, 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 well, it's, well, it's well known amongst the cricketing circles that exactly. Satch would love to have a three-course meal with Mike Atherton. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and Nasser saying, not so much Rob Key. I'm not a massive fan of Rob Key. But uh, yeah, Nasser, others, Ian Ward, bring along... Dinesh Karthik as well. I'm, 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 a, I'm a happy man. Bumble, get a look in. Oh yeah, Bumble. I love Bumble. Big fan of Bumble. Just key yeah. then. Just key. Just key. Yeah. <laughs> so you're, you're on a big night out with Nasser, Hussein, uh, Nasser, Hussein, same person. Uh, Aston, <laughs> Bumble, even uh, Nick Knight and Ian Ward, they make an appearance and then Rob Key bursts through the doors of the pub and you're like, Sorry, no, Rob. No, no, no. Rob, Rob Key's getting kicked from the WhatsApp group well before he's even had time to burst through the doors of the pub. He's, he's, he's not even invited. But he would be the most enthusiastic, so that's really uh, that's really where you're doing yourself in. Uh, but uh, generally speaking, a thoroughly uh, enjoyable series all around. Five matches. It's not quite the iconic England-South Africa 2019 three-match bilateral thrill fest of a T20 series, but it's still something. Uh, where to begin? India win overall 3-2. England took a 2-1 lead. It looked like it was going every single... Uh, it was look like, looking like whoever won the toss was going to win the game, but then England kept winning the toss, and England are not going to keep winning games because it's England. <laughs> Place to start, Indian batting, good series on the whole, a really sort of funny game really, isn't it, that recently we were really bemoaning India's lack of batting ability after that first match and come to the end of the series and they're scoring 220+. plus. Yeah, I mean, after that first match, we were, uh, me, me, me and my friend were on the group chat, where we were saying this is... Oh, Frank, frankly embarrassing there's a golfing class between India and England and white ball cricket 
can't see how India are going to win the World Cup. And now, five matches later, we're, uh, we're talking about India as fabs or joint fabs with England. It's, I mean, that's just that's just sports fans. We're all fickle as anything. And I'm probably the worst for it. But no, I, I, in seriousness, I think it's been good to see India actually put into practice what Kobe said before the start of the series, which is we're going to come out and play more aggressively, play with more modern intent. Didn't work in the first match for a few reasons. I guess there was a bit of rustiness there. I mean, we had KL Rahul and Shikhar Dhawan at the top of the order opening, who just weren't play weren't playing well then in good form. And you know, we started to select well throughout the series. We've got Ishan Kishan brought in. We had Surya Kumar Yadav brought in, who I'm a massive fan of. And it's it's definitely changed the dynamic of our baton. We even had Shreyas Iyer, who we'll come on to later, but even he decided to move away from his more traditional anchoring role and play a bit play a bit quicker so that was nice to see um so yeah it all in all i think i think the progression over over this five match series from that first match where we looked shit to this fifth match where we we where we've you know massively improved i think it's answered a lot of questions for india and i think we've done what we wanted to do from the series which is improve and get a clearer picture of our best 11 out for the world cup generally speaking i don't tend to like it how cricket more than any other sport it seems like I don't know if it's just because test matches uh, don't generally have much of a sort of build to them in that it's not like you're building up to a Euros in football or a World Cup. Uh, but the conversation all the time, it's also probably if it's an individual sport, but the conversation all the time can often be who is playing, like who gets picked next match, rather than just focusing on the here and now and the actual performance in the here and now and what that means for the team. But this series is set up as basically, from both teams' perspective, as the key primer that they've got for this year's uh, T20 World Cup and do you think that India have sort of solved their batting selection problems as to sort of who opens who bats in the top six have they solved it or are they uh, are they still trying to work out what to do with their sort of various batting riches I don't think we solved it I don't think India can ever solve their best batting line because of those batting riches there's just so many options and whatever batting line if you pick even though it might be a preferred one there's always going to be someone out there who's actually got a legitimate argument to say nah this player should be in the team Just be, that's just the nature of the game in India we've got that many good good batsmen I definitely think though the series has been used as a as it's been used well by India like I said as a, as a sort of experiment or a primer for the World Cup as opposed to an outright priority winning the series whereas I don't think England have done that as well I think we'll come on to that later but I'm definitely happy with our top six now uh, after this series um, I, I, I want Rohit opening I quite like I know he can be quite inconsistent but he brings that big dick energy as we like to call it up at, up, up, up at the top of the order I like Ishan Kishan opening with him Kohli at three for me actually what I've been saying is that I like Kohli and Surya Kumar Yadav both you know, occupying the three, four slots as a sort of, you know, floating, depending on what's needed at the time of the first wicket. And then you've got Richard Panton, Hardik Pandya, five and six, again, floating. I think that top six there is is excellent. And, you know, hopefully we'll have the likes of Jadeja or Washington Sunder or maybe Shadwell coming in to add a bit of lower order batting depth. I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. There's a notable omission there that the, the, the sharp... Sharp-eared listeners will 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 have noticed. No Shreyas Iyer in the side for me personally. I know Ollie will probably have some some bits to say about that, but for me, 
as much as I love the lad, and again, everyone knows I love Shay Sayat a bit, but I think he's he's a batsman that occupies that three four slot, and unfortunately, he's not as good as Virat Kohli or Surya Kumar Yadav at that sort of anchoring game, and that's why I don't think he makes the team, despite some of his good performances this series. If he goes into this IPL and changes the way he plays and manages to become a a, a, a finisher who comes in at six, which I can't see happening, but if he does it, then fair play. Get, you know, we can have a conversation about him coming back into the team. But as it stands, I don't think we need another anchor style player. And unfortunately, Shreyas I would make would not make the cut for me. Just off the back of uh, what you said there, then not responding just to the Shreyas I point, but. Talking about the IPL as a, as a whole, how much do you think uh, the IPL has a bearing on how India are going to select come the World Cup? What what weighting does the IPL have for for the international side? So that's actually quite an interesting question, Ollie. I thank you. <laughs> if I was an India selector, I would give it quite a bit of weighting. However, if I'm going by previous form, I don't think the Indian selectors will give as much attention to it as they maybe should. I think this series will probably. Um, probably count for more. I think both sides have actually, if, if the selectors are doing things properly in my eyes, I think both sides have got a good chance to use this IPL as sort of a, 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 an audition for the World Cup. I think England have got enough good players who are playing in the IPL to see how they get on. Ben Stokes in particular is one. Again, we might come on to him later. But yeah, I, I think India should definitely let some of these players really cement their place through good performances, let some of the fringe players either drop off, you know, the likes of Sanju Samson and Dinesh Karthik, or alternatively have monster IPLs and come straight back into the reckoning. Um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm, a, I'm I'm very happy that we've got the IPL coming up as in this World T20 year for us for us to sort of really find out who our best eleven are. Let's have a focus on a couple of the uh, the names which have, have played particularly well. Uh, Shreyas Iyer averaging forty. 120, 120 odd runs, a strike rate of nearly 150. The big one as well, Suri Kumar Yadav, not being in the side at all, steps in and is on his debut. It's a six first ball and averages 45 at 185 strike rate. He seems to have come in and kind of blown any, any worries for India away out of the water. He sort of solves so many problems for them. Oh, he solves. An inordinate amount of problems. He's so versatile. It's funny you say the debut. He, he, he actually on his debut, he didn't bat, and then he got dropped the next match. And then in his second match, in his first innings, he he he, he hit Jofra Archer for an audacious, frankly, a brilliant six. He, the reason why I love him so much is one, he's been incredibly consistent now for Mumbai Indians, the best T Twenty team in the world for the past three IPL seasons. He scores, but not with that consistency. It's not just a a 40 off 30 every match. It's 40 at a good pace. It's often a 50, you know, maybe 60, 70 as well. He's a perfect sort of anchor when you need him, but somebody to increase the tempo when you need him to as well, which is, you know, possibly kind of unique in that indie side. Even Coley, to some extent, doesn't really have that. Maybe maybe I'm being harsh there, but I think Surya Kumar Yadav coming in that, in that three or four position, being able to carry on the acceleration or drop anchor a little bit and do it so consistently and look so glorious when he does it. That's why I've been clamouring for his inclusion for such a long time. My only disappointment with him is that he's not been in the team before. And I I don't know whether that's just 
some sort of beef he's got with Coley because he's he's quite a volatile, intemperate character, Surya Kumar Yadav, or he has been in the past. Um, and he's had a few run-ins with Coley on the field in the IPL. But look, I'm glad he's finding the team. I really want Coley to keep him in the team now permanently. He's done nothing wrong this series for, for you know to suggest otherwise. The past five games, the, over the course of the series, uh, like we said at the start of the series, it looked like one which... Uh, which India were really going to struggle with with the bat. But then as the series went on, England were the ones who were sort of, in the final two games, coming up a little bit short. In the final match, India scoring 224. England ultimately uh, getting nowhere close, about 40 runs short. In the fourth game, England eight runs short again. And, and they had good starts in both of these games. But England do seem to be coming a, a bit of a, cropper in some scenarios uh, I think the, the first one uh, that we'll start off with, we might as well go with uh, go with the question that we got sent in by uh, by Oliver Bowers, uh, he said hi guys, uh, how do you propose that England resolve the left handed middle order issue in the T20 team, uh, can't just keep hoping that Butler or Bairstow don't get out because that's the problem phase that England seemed to encounter in both of those final two T20s wasn't it yeah, I don't necessarily know as well as know if it's as much of a problem as as it's been made out to be. I think this whole series, uh, the Sky commentators a lot talked about how India were trying to be turn turning the ball away from the bat, whether that's with a spinner or whether that's bowling off or leg cutters. Um, and obviously, as you say, they came a cropper in this series. But I think it's easy in cricket to look at a problem and view it as a a, a macro issue. And I don't necessarily think this left-hander um, or stacked left-hander middle order is necessarily as much of a problem that's been made out to be. I think we need sort of a bigger sample size to suggest that it's an issue that really does need addressing. It's currently made up of, as it stands, uh, Milan, Stokes and Morgan. And particularly, I think, in, in the games that we saw, particularly in the fourth match, I think I think it was uh, Charles Thacko that was just bowling very well and got both in the same order and, and put the brakes on. But it has been a series for England of... Uh, real peaks and troughs with the bat. I mean, Roy found a bit of form, registered, I think, 40 plus three times. Uh, Butler, in certain scenarios, looked as good as ever. Uh, those two look like the ones who are nailed on now to open, wouldn't you think? Yeah, definitely. Roy, obviously, under a little bit of pressure coming into the series. We know what he can do with the white ball, but he just needed to sort of prove it, I suppose. Um, his shot yesterday was absolutely horrendous, but I suppose there's no horrendous shots, really, in T20 cricket. You do what you want. Um but I suppose foil, uh, sorry, Butler and uh, Roy provide, provide a perfect foil to each other. Roy's a bit more sort of traditional, I'll say, in terms of locking his wrists and, and playing straight uh, and looking so good playing straight. And Butler, um, obviously, so wristy and so effective against a spin. So especially when they're both firing, it makes for a, a seriously exciting um, opening partnership. And I think they would have uh, nailed on their places now, yeah. I think what's been interesting in this series is obviously, okay, at the start of the series, Roy was the player who uh, sort of seemed to have his position in question. And there was some interesting analysis about Roy that even if like overall his, his stats don't initially scream someone who goes and gets 50 after 50, he always starts off that intensity for England from the beginning. They're more a side that bats in batting waves, that there's just a constant conveyor belt of players who are going to go in and they're going to biff it about. And that is their sort of tactic. And Butler and Roy both did that very well. Now, the more 
questionable area, which is something which is long dividing England fans, is the uh, is the question of the enigma, which is uh, David Milan. <laughs> Should he be in the team? Is the is the is the million dollar question which is floating around the England T Twenty setup at the moment. He went to only 120 strike rate for the whole series, and that's that was slightly lifted overall uh, by his uh, by his 60 plus knock yesterday. A very interesting enigma of a player in an interesting scenario because, as far as I'm aware, I don't think he's actually ever batted in India. Where does that series leave him in the side, Such? I think just to start off, it's it's incredible, isn't it, that we're questioning the place and or that a player who averages 50 and strikes at 140 odd generates so much debate about his place in the side it's 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 incredible i i do sit on the on the side that i don't think he'd make england's best 11 i know matt cracknell agrees with me on that one but for possibly for different reasons i'm of the opinion that you need an anchor in a side you need one anchor in a t20 side um like for india we've got Kohli and he's the best anchor in the world great matt cracknell on the other hand, doesn't believe we need an anchor in the side. So for that reason, Matt Cracken doesn't believe we need Milan in the side or doesn't believe England need Milan in the side. He'd rather see Hales in there, for example, or you know even a Billings coming in at six and drop everyone down. I don't think we need. I don't think England need Milan in the side because I don't think he's England's best anchor in India. That's the reason why I don't. I don't have him in my first choice England eleven. The reason is. He, he's, he's, his record against pace in T20s is fantastic. He looks a million dollars when the ball comes onto the bat. Against spin, his average drops significantly. I think the difference is about... I think he averages 120 against pace and 30-odd against spin. We've seen in this in this series some pitches a little bit sluggish. The ball's not quite come onto the bat. And he's 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 played match-losing knocks almost. He's, he's scored 20-odd from about 20-odd balls. He's not really managed to do his acceleration and... You know that costs a team massively in twenty twenties, and for me, in in tournament play in India, you know the 2016, 2020 World Cup is a fantastic example of this. You're gonna get tricky pitches. You're gonna get pitches that are slow, pitches that spin. You're not gonna get these belters that David Milan likes at Trent Bridge, for example, or you know the, some some of the belters he got in South Africa. And for that reason, I don't think he is England's best anchor. I I would actually go for a somewhat left field choice of going for Root based on his previous performances in the 2016 World Cup. And just because he's a much better player of spin, and I think he's a better tricky pitch specialist. Before that final game, he'd scored uh, 80 runs at 70 at 77 balls, which is really, really quite sluggish. And and along the lines of the sort of the way the ball comes onto the bat and how he's good against pace, he's been excellent in South Africa. He's been excellent in England. He did struggle a little bit in the in the BBL this past month. But generally speaking, you imagine that Milan is a player who's going to bat better in less subcontinental conditions, which is why this IPL is going to be so big for him. Arguably, out of all the England players, he's got the most important IPL of the lot. Like you've said to me, Satch, that Kings didn't pay an awful lot of money for him, so he might not actually get that many chances to go out and prove himself, but he is really going to have to seize those opportunities. But with Milan, he is the ultimately still the world T20 number one ranked batsman and he is definitely one of those players who's like a proper he's a proper fuck you player isn't he that people will be questioning him making all sorts of aspersions as to like is he good enough is he good enough and yesterday he was England's best batsman and played some lovely strokes and actually did a decent knock and a lot of other players didn't end up supporting him 
I just want to come in quickly before Ollie comes in on the analysis that I don't think that yesterday's innings from Milan was a fuck you innings, particularly. It was on a pitch that the ball, it was a, it was a belter pitch, the ball was coming onto the bat. We know Milan can do that. I think he scored at 150 or shy of 150 in a chase that he needs to go 11 and over at. I, I don't I, I don't think it was quite the fuck you innings that everybody thinks it is, but I mean, I'll let Ollie come in and, and give his opinions on Milan. I'll quickly burst in first. Uh, <laughs> when I say that, what I mean is that when something is there that when he's had a slight stretch where people are like, oh, there's problems with him, he does pull a performance out of the bag. And obviously it wasn't enough for England and potentially didn't even go as quick as he should, but I say should have done, it's very difficult because you can't say he should have done that, he should have done better. But he ultimately produced a performance just as his role in the side is beginning to come into, into question. I find that he's such an interesting enigmatic cricketer yeah i do agree um you, he, he is quite hard to read and he's not in the mold of say the hales or a uh, or even a, a roy or a butler who's going to blister straight from the start and i think that is uh a lot of the arguments against his inclusion is the fact that he's he's not he's not going to go from ball one i think uh, Satch makes a really good point that yes he polarizes opinion but i think that opinion still split between those who think he's not the right uh, kind of player and those who think um, that he's not the right player to be playing that job so <clears throat> it sort of splits the, the opinion once again what I do have to say in his, his defence is that much like when we talked about the test team we talked about Sibley and, and Burns and all these players at the top of the order who hadn't played or had an awful lot of experience against spin he is a player who's not played in India has not played against an awful lot of spin and this IPL that is coming up is going to stand in even if he doesn't play, even if he doesn't get in the starting eleven, he's going to give him a great uh, grounding for playing against spin in India. So I think that's something to be considered considered and works in his favour. I also think that although he does score slowly, and there's definitely an argument that in the power play you want someone who's going to be going at a greater rate, what he does have in his favour is that he can pick a gap in the field. And we saw that on a number of occasions yesterday with more traditional shots where he wasn't just trying to go up and over to beat the field, but he can pick, especially with that. He hit one cover drive in particular, didn't we, when we were watching, that, that pierced through the cover through uh, the cover and extra cover. And it's a little bit like, I'm not going to compare him to Coley, but why I like Coley in and out of the power play is that he doesn't just need to bludgeon it over the infield to be scoring runs. He can pick gaps and be clever in the same tone I think Milan can do that and go at a rate which keeps England in the game and keeps the person at the other end ticking along while he's getting in and go later down the line yes of course there's an argument to suggest that if he gets out before he then accelerates then he's costed you know he's gone at a run at ball and costed his side but I also think that he offers more to the side than maybe uh, he gets credit for aside from or maybe perhaps even slightly linked to uh, Milan gate as we could uh, as we could term it uh the other, the one remaining other big pick question that remains for England is that of uh, is that of Alex Hales. Matt Cracknell's been espousing from day one that he thinks Hales should be straight back in the side. If he were to come in, does he plug a few of the gaps, a few of the problems that England have been experiencing? Because he's in great nick. Yes, I know. If you think that. England don't need an anchor, then he's probably the next cab off the rank in terms of slotting in at whether he slots in at three or they shuffle the top three around. I agree with Sat. I think that they do need that kind of player, whether it's Milan or Root, to fulfil that role. Uh, I don't think there's really 
massive issues in the England in English batting ranks. That, I mean, that would be my retort to, to what you have to say. I don't think there's massive holes that require plugging. If you've got a better player that could make them better. Yeah. I mean, look, Hales is going to come off in certain games when all of your bat, all of your you know top six are, are going all guns blazing and it's going gonna, it's gonna to look great. But in those stickier games when you need to pull anchor, then is he the right choice? Maybe not. And it's difficult, isn't it? To pick, especially in knockout cricket, we've got to remember that. To pick a, pick a team that is going to respond to all circumstances is, is, you know, so tricky. Just moving away from the tactical side of Hales, but more just his inclusion and presence around the side. I know we discussed this yesterday, didn't we, on, the, on our little watch-along Zoom call. But I was listening to the Sky Sports Cricket Podcast last night with the one with Ashley Giles, and they asked him about Hales. And Giles made it very clear that he said, you know, we should, the, the door should never be closed to a player to... You know, make a make a re-entry in the side, re-entry into the side, and of course he's got to win back the trust, etc. But you know, he's paid his dues, as it were. You know, he's done his time, and you, you can't just kind of write him off forever. Whereas it seems like Morgan, from my point of view, you know, outside of looking in, it looks like Morgan's got a bit of beef with Hales, and you know, his, his press conferences that. around Hales are very, very curt and very sort of short and he doesn't seem happy with Hales and I, I'd like to know what what's the sort of you know macro management captaincy situation with Hales well the big question is what's the beef well yeah exactly <laughs> you've had your you've had your finger over that button all podcast haven't you <laughs> absolutely uh, if you if you have any suggestions for what the beef is uh, then please do get in touch because we're very intrigued to hear we will be happy to keep you anonymous and if you want to send us a voice message we can happily distort you into some sort of uh, anonymous <laughs> informant uh, from uh, like, from the cold I'll, war i like the idea that there's uh, some big wigs at the ustb who know exactly what's going on and decide not to um you know let anyone in on on the inner workings of england management but anonymously drop the role in a, uh, a message. I think that's quite a likely scenario. I think we all know that Ed Smith gets at least uh, at least halfway through most of our podcast ex- episodes and then normally drops off when there's a, when there's an uh, ill-structured feature, shall we say. <laughs> yeah, well, no Max Parry today, so that's all I can say to that. I do think, well, I think the big question for England is, or Morgan and the management, is whether Hales solves more problem than he creates. And it's as simple as that. And it appears that he... Uh, uh, to be the case at the minute that he's, he wouldn't provide an answer that was, uh, would solve the issues that they have. There is another side to cricket, along with the batting, is the bowling. And we've actually seen uh, the, uh, in, in periods, the best of uh, T20 bowling. Uh, Bhuvaneshwar, Wood, Archer, Rashid, Thakur, at different points have shown some of the, uh, in periods, some of the best T20 bowling I remember watching in a long time. England absolutely nailed inch perfect two of their power plays. Yesterday, Bhuvaneshwar had a Crickviz match impact rating of 34, which is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, it's increasingly, in some ways, becoming a bowler's game, lads, isn't it, with the skills that they've all got at their disposal? Yeah, I think initially when T20 started, it was about, like, the the bowling was the cannon fodder, wasn't it, essentially? It was to see how far batters could just hit, hit these uh, poor, unsuspecting bowlers. But the way in which bowling has come back into the fold with variations that they have. And I completely agree with you that we saw in this series the best of what T20 bowling has to offer. Bhuvaneshwar was was my sort of pick of the bowlers, I'd probably say. The way that he was managing to to move the ball in the air, 
caused real problems. Wood and Archer, when they found consistency and they nailed their plans, were fantastic. And it's it's hard to see really if if they if Rashid Wood and Archer all bowl in tandem to their plans and bowl well. It's hard to see how those 12 overs don't go for very, very few. How you plug that next eight overs is obviously the next big conundrum. But in this series, we have seen um, some tremendous bowling, which answers questions for both India and England. Another bowler who was impressive as well was uh, old Tupac Thakur as well, who, uh, who I thought was thought was fantastic with his, with his cutters and was reading that he's only sort of come into the fold fairly recently, Satch. And I thought he uh, played very well, especially holding his bottle, we'll call it, uh, against Archer in that penultimate uh, well, he didn't really yeah. hold it that much because he well, bowled two. He, he, he got, got hit he, for he got four and a six and, and then came, came, came back and got him out. <laughs> yeah, look, he's one of those. He's one of those cricketers that he's he's got like sort of what you describe as smarts on the field. He's he, he, he's a he's a competitor, as the commentators like to call it with their cliches. He's, he grabs the grabs the bull by the horns. He, look, he's the the the, the Indian teammates. His Indian teammates describe him as like a very stubborn character and you know he gets on the field he knows what he wants to do and he'll execute it to the best of his ability he had he was very clever when he was bowling I think in that fourth match or, his, or the third match one of the two um, where he just kept bowling cutters into the pitch and like you said before the left handers just couldn't couldn't hit him off the square whether he makes it into India's strongest 11 I don't know but I think he's an excellent backup to have around the squad especially for the Sort of lower order biffing he can provide as well with with the bat, but I, I don't think it's become a bowler's game, so to speak, Bertie. Just on your previous point, I think it's become a very even game between bat and ball. To mm. be honest, I think with all the analysis that's going going on behind the scenes with matchups etc., I think it's massive how you know that works for both sides. The bowlers know who their matchups are, the batsmen know who their matchups are, and it becomes a very tactical game from both sides. I think it's I think it's a good balance that we've I think 320's reached that sort of balance or equilibrium. Uh, one bowler though that uh, that it wasn't his game as such and that problem that England have had in that in that middle overs period of plugging the gap. Uh, Chris Jordan didn't have a good series. Just four wickets, economy of ten and a half uh, Owen Morgan is a man who is loyal to his loss of his players and it's reaped enormous benefits in uh, ODIs and T20s over the past five years or so. But is Chris Jordan, does he get slightly too long a rope? I think potentially he's getting a slightly longer rope. I think England like having him long in the side because he has uh, performed so well for them in the last year or two. He can obviously bat and field exceptionally well as well. And I don't think India, uh, England sorry, have necessarily primed their bowling department to plug the gap should he stop performing. But again, it's easy to look at a smaller uh, sort of sample and say that he's a serious issue for England. I don't think he, he necessarily is. Obviously, Satch as a Kings XI fan will have a, a different argument considering his performances that he's uh, he's putting in the IPL, but he's probably not the, the issue that is being made out to be just in this series alone. No, I don't, I don't think he's England's biggest issue. And, you know, he's, he's obviously been very successful for England as well, but I just find he hits, he bowls too many hit-me balls for my life, especially for someone at the death. And, I mean, I, I'm not a, I'm not an expert on England's reserve bone stocks. You know, th- there is always the question of if you're going to send them out with the team, who do you bring in? I know Matt Cracknell's mentioned Gurney. I've heard people mention Topley, who brings a left arm angle as well. I mean, you know, are, are there people out there for England who, you, who you'd think, yeah, he could p- p- probably do a better job than Jordan? I think, I, yeah, probably, I think. 
Uh, it's interesting you say someone who brings a different angle or something different or a left arm angle when Sam Curran's obviously in the side and getting <laughs> one over a game. Um, I just don't, I, I don't think he's he's next to you know to be axed from the lineup. I think England like having him in the side, and I, I you can see why. That's that's where I'll leave it. It's like I've got Ollie, inside info. Ollie, you are <laughs> well. Actually, we've got two qualified teachers uh, on this uh, on this call at the moment. Uh, such former teacher, Ollie, current teacher. Uh, Ollie, can you give us a uh, very quick, uh, nice, neat summary for the key stage three, key stage four? <laughs> Difficulty of understanding level of what have we learned today about that? Sorry, what have we learned from the uh, from the series as a whole about about the sides? Okay, I think in general it's important to win the toss in India because the dew fall makes it easier to bat in the second innings by and large. I think England have learned that uh, it's. Bowling stocks is is pretty impressive. Rashid Wood and Archer have come out of this all very well. I think uh, Butler and Roy opening is a uh, surefire pairing. I think India have established that uh, Surya Kumar Yadav is a gun and he's he's set to stay. And Bhuvaneshwar is uh, an exceptional T20 bowler. They're probably the talking points in the in the areas that I think have been established in the series for me. Okay, let's have some stuff from you guys at home now. So Max Parry has been saying how horny for cricket, those are quotes there, uh, he's been for the past six weeks or so. He messaged me the other week saying, Bert, I wanted to launch something new, something engaging, something that brings listeners into the fold. But unfortunately, he's not here. So I'm taking the reins of the uh, venerable hungover sack of skin, in quotes again, as he described himself this week. So we wanted to know what you guys, what your vibe has been for the cricket in the past week. We asked you to use the hashtag for Crick, and we wanted your name, how you're feeling about the great game this week, and why and where you're listening needing to the show from so we'll read these out every single week on the show uh, let's get ourselves a bed to get going give us the vibe of a sort of uh, drive time radio show uh, shout outs to all those uh, facing heavy traffic at this hour what on earth is going on here i tell you what's going on here it's top quality content to start us off riley Eason in stoke he's feeling tired for crick Give me a break from it, please. He says there's simply too much to keep up with. I mean, I do hear you in a way. There are a hell of a lot of formats. Test, ODI, T20, 100, the uh, the Road Safety uh, World Series that Monty Panisar has been playing recently. Pro 40, rest in peace, the NatWest Pro 40. I quite like the 40 over format, to be honest. I wouldn't mind seeing a comeback. Strong balance between ODI and T20. Nice whole day entertainment. This one's from Edgar, mowing the lawn in beautiful Buckinghamshire. He says, love the show, guys. I mean, as do I, Edgar. Analysis and entertainment for the Thatcher and Snapchat generations. Uh, he goes on, top class T20 series. Bring on the ODIs and the IPL. Absolutely, Edgar. Couldn't agree with you more. Anyway, hello to Hayden Homeward, making your way home along the M4. Hayden Homeward on his way home. Sure. Yeah, of course I'm sure. Anyway, Hayden says, I'm ecstatic for Crick. Can't wait for the local league season to get underway. And he adds, can I have a horn for the local leagues? Of course you can have a horn for the local leagues. 
No one likes local league cricket that much. Give it up. Enough with the negativity. I'm doing some impactful audience engagement. Here's Kevin Chelmsford. He's less happy with the past week. A five-match T20 series. What an absolute waste of time, he says. Get out of here, Kev. Get with the 21st century. It's not just tests, I say. And finally, from Corey, who, like Max Parry, is... Drumroll, please. He is horny for Crick. Wonderful stuff. More shout-outs for you next week. Where are you and what are you up to? If you've got anything you want to send in to us, it's at Wrong and Cricket on Twitter or www.wrongandcricket.com. And trust me, we read all of your correspondence. How was that, lads? Was that was that some suitable audience engagement? It could be argued that I went a little bit overboard there, but you've got to show the love for the listener. Bertie, it's like you've just learned how to save sound effects to your laptop. Well, I think you're fine there. <laughs> They're all safe on my and, phone. And you're absolutely furious to use them all. I'm absolutely furious to use them all. Look, there'll be so much more coming uh, later in the week. Um, well, I can't but wait. I think I think uh, that is all that we've got time for today. Anything else you'd like to add, lads? No, we have just got a text off Max Parry, though. Say, <laughs> sorry, lads. Death has come to me. <laughs> all Man. of the death. All of death. So, in the nicest way, I hope it has. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Obviously not. Obviously not. Maybe cut that out, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, cut that out. Maybe, maybe that's the sort of thing that we can whack in as the first sound effect before we, uh, before we start the show. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's it from me, Bertie Moores, from uh, Satch Agarwal and Ollie Gordon. Uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. Goodbye. See ya. <laughs>